Well, hey, welcome to the Restoration Podcast. I'm Dan Sams. I'm here with Kevin Haroff. And, hey, hey. Um, yeah, having a good day today, man. It's almost Christmas. I'm I'm just excited. Like, my life is happy right now. Um, yeah. So, Definitely, how about you? Man. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I'm a little bit tired. Uh, woke up a little bit late, um, but, you know, getting the coffee in me and uh, almost ready to go here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forget about college life and it's post-finals week for you, and you're like, oh, I'm feeling... Good. I'm just gonna sleep in. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I'm extending this college life as long as I can. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nearing 26, and uh, oh, I'm still yeah. still enjoying that lifestyle, sleeping in. I um I was on a, on the dorm with a guy. His name was Joe, and he came to college at 25. Lived on a dorm, and I remember just us thinking he was the oldest guy ever. <laughs> um, and I, I remember him talking about like he. Uh, he was dating this girl from home who had a child, and we were like, you are so old, man. Like, what's your deal? Um, he was cool, though. So, yeah. So. Yeah, actually, one of my uh, really good friends, um, he just did that. He went to school last year for his, his freshman year of college, and he was 25. And I remember him, him thinking, like, he's really old, and I'm like, I'm, I was just wondering why he had this sort of complex, but I guess it's a, it's a real thing. It, and it, I think it used to be really normal. Like it, it still is actually becoming nor- really. Yeah, normal. I think it's yeah. more normal now, yeah. actually. Oh man, you walk around community colleges now and see eighty-year-olds. Oh yeah, well that was that was why when the show Community came out, I thought it was the greatest thing because it was just it was a snapshot of what was happening in our culture right then. You know, you have mm-hmm. Pierce, who is, you know our parents age maybe even older really and um he's going back to school and then you have the failed fake lawyer and then you have young people and i think it was great i was like this is what's happening right now this is the perfect show for Mm -hmm. what's going on and and that show is just hilarious like there's a good setting for it and then just great writing it was so good i still i love that show yeah I, i there are times where i would watch that show and as funny as it would be, I would also be just kind of amazed. Um, it's like my musician friends, when they talk about they can't listen to Queen without just being kind of blown away. They're like, I'm not even moved emotionally because I'm just so amazed at what's happening. I'm still just blown away emotionally when I listen to Queen. <laughs> but like, there would be times where I would be watching Community, and I would just be like, this is just, this is just amazing. Like, the, I, how, how did they think of that? It was great. Like, I don't know if you and I were talking about it, but um, there was... Uh, there's somewhere in like season one where they mention Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. and then I don't know somewhere a couple of seasons later the word gets mentioned again, and somewhere I, I mean it might have been this last season, it gets mentioned again, and somebody in a Beetlejuice costume walks through the back screen, <laughs> and it's like that that's a joke yeah. that took that was set up for four that's, years. That's Simpsons level quality it as is. far as bringing it's in awesome. jokes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Dan Harmon he's the creator of that show. He's a pretty Hilarious yeah. guy. So good. Uh, is that show still going on? I think, so I'm told I think Hulu was picking it Hulu up. Hulu picked it up? Um, I don't know anything about when it's coming out, but Hulu picked it up. It's They were they were filming not long ago, I think. Um, great show. And they're, like, I love that there's this kind of, there's this whole community vibe with all of their, um, their Twitter accounts. And so, like, my sister tweeted something about Yvette Nicole Brown. Um, I forget who she plays. What's her character's name? Um, she tweeted something about how sweet she seems in real life or on Twitter. Is she or the one who's in Mad Men too? Uh, no, that's somebody else. This is um, uh, 
The woman the who's married one. To, no, this show. is the... Maybe that is. I might be getting the names wrong. Whoever it was. Oh, man. I, I'm not good at these things. <laughs> Remembering names. I'm terrible. Yeah. But my sister, uh, my sister just tweeted and tweeted her and said something about like, "Thanks for being really nice on whatever." And she immediately responded and was like, "Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the nicest thing." Um, which is cool. I um, I thought I always thought there were, like, I just love the whole vibe of the show and the the kind of feeling around it that like everybody's just backing up the show. Like you love the show and you're supporting it and they support the yeah. fans and it's just cool. Just awesome. Yeah, I just got uh, Amazon Prime the other day, and I'm uh, yeah. pretty impressed with it. It's awesome. Um, man. I, I don't think I don't think they have any original shows like Hulu or Netflix, but I'm sure they will soon. I they had they were gonna have one. I don't know if it was that. I remember some talk of them adding one, because um, one of the guys from Arrested Development was gonna be on it. But uh, yeah, man. So that's just such a great show. Oh, actually, yeah, I think that that is out. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. dad from Arrested Development, right? Yeah, which is another great show. Mm-hmm. Rest of development was just brilliant. Same kind of stuff where stuff is set up in one season and the joke gets played yeah. out season three. Although I wasn't too impressed with the Netflix season. Not as good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was Except for the Tobias episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his new start. Yeah. Um yeah, man. I uh yeah I I still enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't what the other seasons had been mm-hmm. for me. Um It was too formulaic. You think so? Yeah. I can see that a little bit. The other seasons really weren't. Yeah. You didn't know what you were expecting. But with this one, you they started off as, like, I think they even titled it, like, the name of the character, and it was you the same You knew exactly thing. what was going to happen. Yeah. I only, I only watched up until the Tobias episode, then I was like, I've seen enough. Yeah. I had heard that that had something to do with they couldn't get everybody together, and so they had to film kind yeah. of weird. And Which is disappointing, too. It like, is. It's not the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well. I know Michael Michael Sarah got a lot of flack for that for some reason. Like everybody, like there was like yeah. rumors that he could be kind of became a prima donna, but I don't really. I'd, think... I'd heard the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he is. I've seen him do um, some like online stuff with like a comedy duo that I like, and he seems like a pretty chill guy. But who knows? Yeah. Well, and I've always thought about people get blamed for being prima donnas, and I'm like, you know, we don't understand. Like we're not we're not there. Like, I'll hear people talk about musicians that are like, yeah, I saw that guy at a show at such and such, and he walked past me, and he didn't say hi. <laughs> and I'm like, I've only, I can only point to one time when I was on the road, and it was only for a weekend. But I tell you what, like, you're drained, you're around the same people, you're strange hours, and you're kind of sick of everybody, and then you're just expected to be on all the time. And I'm like, I, I kind of, like... They might be jerks, but I'm also like, yeah. I understand where you're just like, I don't want to just pretend to be friends with a stranger today, you know? And on top of that, you have to consider how many times that happens to them, how many times fans come up to them and stuff. And, you know, I always go back to the, the Eminem song um, where he calls out the fact that, like, you know, he's not Mr. NSYNC and, like, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to deal with other people's stuff, like, all the time. Yeah. But, and, like, the fact that he is grateful to have fans, but, you know, it is... It is a lot to yeah. to be this something that he's really not. Yeah, man. Yeah, I would hate it. I don't think I'd like it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, so we jumped on and we totally like went uh, went towards talking about shows, which I know is, is really, really <laughs> that's always what I gravitate it. towards it, talking yeah, about. I, I do too. I, <laughs> I I feel the need to maybe mention before we jump into our topic that I finally did see Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was everything I hoped it would be and more. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so finally saw that, um, I'm so behind, 
Yeah, it is a great movie. That was fun. That was great. That's oh. good. Stuff. And I finally saw um, the hun- new Hunger Games movie. What'd you think? Uh, well, here's what I think, and I think I have, I have an even dumber version of what I think America should think. <laughs> I I would be completely happy if they made a Hunger Games movie every single year, that was like the first one, but with different characters, and basically you just get to see the Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, I can I kind of don't. I'm not really digging the whole revolution plot. Like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like now it's post-apocalyptic. Now I understand. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather just see the Hunger Games every year. Oh, uh, see the because uh, that's exciting. If the Hunger Games was exciting. <laughs> well, because it's true. They're like, well, we're hiding in a bunker right now. However, I uh, the whole revolution thing like just appeals to my whole like, yeah, the government's bad, <laughs> you know. So um, I was entertained. It was it was fun. Yeah, but um. I can definitely understand. The Hunger Games itself was such an intense and exciting, like, mm-hmm. this is great. Yeah, it's a great movie. I, I just recently saw the second one, like, a couple days before I saw the new one, and I was disappointed when she broke the force field. You're like, and, and oh, it's <laughs> over. The, gun, the game's going to win done. now. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's... I um I confess I probably felt a little bit of that too. Although I was like, oh man, what's going on now? <laughs> um, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's a fun show. So um, we jumped on here. We were talking. So we have like uh we have these topics that we uh, we hope to get to eventually. But every now it seems like our discussion just keeps leaning towards something that's really good. And so I'm like, man, we'll we'll get to those topics eventually. Like eventually we're gonna jump in and we're gonna start talking about the mission and vision for our church and, and what we're hoping to do, which sounds boring as I talk about it, but I promise <laughs> it'll be exciting when we do. Um, but uh, no, we were talking a little bit about uh, about whether or not the Bible is literal. And uh, uh, you were telling me a little bit about, about the podcast that you would listen to. You care to just kind of bring us up to speed a little bit and, and then we'll, we'll start talking. Yeah, um, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Pete Holmes. It's the Pete Holmes podcast, You Made It Weird, and his guest was Peter Rollins. Um, and actually Pete Holmes, uh, heard about Peter Rollins through, um, Rob Bell. So this was like his Rob Bell series, um, that he was doing and they got into the discussion, um, which Pete Holmes tends to do in all of his podcasts, um, about the legitimacy of the Bible. And, um, again, a little background on Pete Holmes is he's a stand-up comedian, um, but he went to, uh, what's the, like the biggest Christian college? Liberty? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he went to Liberty. He went to Liberty? Yeah. That's where I went. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd be very interested to figure out who this guy is. Yeah, yeah. you should you should look him up. Oh. But yeah, he went to Liberty. Um, and so he has a, a Christian background. Um, and he always talks about when like he was more like conservative Christian. Um, and now he considers himself like a, uh, a spiritually leaning Christian. Hmm. Um, but anyway, he always gets into this discussion about the legitimacy of the Bible and he got into that with uh, Peter Rollins and Rollins made the argument that um, that it really doesn't matter um, whether or not it's literal or not and that argument is relatively new within the past you know 300 years or so um, so yeah that's uh, where that podcast was going so um so we were so as we we're talking about it a little bit. Um, probably should do full disclosure. I I lean uh, theologically pretty conservative. I mean, I guess when it comes down to it, 
you do too on most things, <laughs> so I don't want to like put words in your mouth. Yeah. But I don't want to give the I'll, idea. I'll tell everybody what I. Yeah, how I feel. that's probably good. Yeah, I don't want to give the idea that we're we're coming from opposite sides because I would love to be able to say, oh, we're this nice point and counterpoint, but we're probably not really representing like any way out view on on that on one side. But you should probably say where you're at. Yeah. yeah. So um, I I tend to in discussions to lean as you know to play a devil's advocate just because <laughs> that's you know what I like to do. Um, but I do feel there is something in um, the Christian culture and conservative Christian culture and, and a lot of churches where, you know, there is this idea of people do feel doubt and they feel scared to talk about their doubt because they feel that people in the church are going to look down on them and um, condemn them as not being truly saved or being a true Christian. Um, so I feel like people, people need to push past that and ask questions that they're they're feeling and you know bring those questions to god and pray to pray about them um but anyway so the way i feel about it um you know it is a day-to-day basis how you know exactly what i believe um but i do believe in the legitimacy and the um the actual life death and resurrection of jesus christ um but there's things in the old testament that i believe are made more for uh as a poetical story to, to bring forth a point that is really hard to express just with just plain words and by just telling some, somebody, you know, an idea. So you have to, to bring in a story to express this idea. So I, I think, you know, uh, the creation story is a great way to look at it. Um, you know, it's not going to be as fun or you know, you're not going to get as much from it if you're just reading you know, the, the fall of man um, without the, the story. Um, but I, I definitely don't believe that there was an actual Garden of Eden and that uh, there's a snake and Adam and Eve. I think that they're just um, plot points to, to show a bigger message. And I've also heard, heard this analogy before, too, about when people talk about the Bible. Um, it's The Bible is like when somebody's pointing at the moon and in this analogy, the moon's the truth. Um, but when somebody's pointing at the moon, somebody standing next to that person is more focused on the finger of that person than focused on what they're pointing at. So I feel like that's maybe what Peter Rollins was talking about when he was saying the question really doesn't matter because you're getting caught up in this idea of you know verifying something as fact that you know you can never really verify it as fact and you just have to you know try to look deeper and look at what it's talking about when well, i think i think he's got a, a good point about the idea that um that you you can't fully verify anything um until you know when it comes to things like a historical account you can't fully fully i mean it's kind of like the idea of we can't prove anything beyond all possible doubt just beyond all reasonable doubt um, but I'd kind of step into the discussion and, and address it somewhat differently because I think when we start asking the question, is the Bible literal, it's really not, it's, it's really probably too simple of a question because, you know, when we look at the Psalms, we clearly, like there's really not even a lot of debate. Well, there's some, but there's not a lot of debate as to whether or not uh, the Psalms are poetic or not. I mean, it's clearly, it's poetic language. And, you know, there's language like, well, God is a rock. Well, we don't actually think God is a rock. There's, there's poetic language being used to describe an attribute of God. Um, 
and in the same in the same way, we can look at um, certain parts of you know you know like numbers or in in the Old Testament where it's clearly giving a an account of data. You know, I'm talking to people about reading through the Bible, and I'll say, listen, dude, it's it's really kind of okay to not stress out that you didn't get some deep spiritual meaning from reading an account of how many sheep somebody owned like you like that's written differently like and I would say that 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 might be more you we need to understand from a literary perspective that that's just something different and in a whole other way when we look at the gospels in the new testament um it's written with uh, much more of a we're giving an account of something that happened like this is an eyewitness account or it's or somebody who has interviewed eyewitnesses, you know, like we see in the in the case of Luke, like Luke is clearly traveling around, talking to um, people who saw Jesus, and he's trying to make sure he's getting a really good account. And so when I look at that, I can I can hear a, an argument for for like the Genesis account and say, well, maybe this is a little bit more poetic way to explain something that might have happened, but maybe not in this way. Um, I still believe in a in a literal six day creation. But I'll hear that argument and I say, I definitely see where that can come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I really like drilled in is I look to the Gospels and I just say, I don't see how we can look at this um, from a literary perspective of, of anything other than a really a legitimate historical account. It seems to be how it's written. Um, so they, uh, that, that's kind of where, where I'm, I've landed on it. Um, and what's interesting to me, and kind of you know, as we've we've discussed already a little, the uh, Jesus is what really really matters. Um, not that the rest of it doesn't matter, but uh, when we talk about core theology and what you need to believe to know God, um, it really centers completely on Jesus, you know. And if uh, if you start taking away pieces of Jesus, then we start things start eroding very quickly. But the, the death, the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus is where it, where it all lines in. If Jesus didn't really die to pay my debt, then, well, then I'm screwed. And if he didn't really raise from the dead, well, then I'm also screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but those, those two things are where everything really centers in. And then there's stuff attached to it. And so my thing is I'll be sitting down with, uh, with somebody like you, or I have friends that are um, that question a whole lot more than you do about the Bible, and, um, oh, and I've been and, there, and I yeah. mean, that's part of my, you know, yeah. process, and it's been awesome, and yeah. I've been enlightened because of it. And yeah, I, I think I think it's just a great thing to be able to say, and I even even this, I'm not pushy on. I just want to always mention the the centrality of it is that if you get Jesus, you're good to go. Um, and it's just interesting to me how many of my 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 believing friends and even non-believing friends that like will. Sp- it's so easy to spend all this time talking about whether or not creation was literal or whether this or that. And, and it's not that those things aren't important, but man, Jesus is what matters. And so as when I'm talking to people, I'm, I try to say that's like, I mean, I, I care about those things, but man, I care even more about Jesus. Let's, let's focus on that. And, and the interesting thing to me is when we look at historical historical accounts biblical and extra biblical and we look at kind of corroboration and all this other stuff and like we have so much evidence for Jesus and yeah. so it's it's much more much easier for me to say all right like if we're going to have a debate I'm going to have a debate about something I care about <laughs> and also the thing that I can back up the best yeah and so. I I do feel I, I've asked somebody this question before and I've I've varied on how my answer would be um as far as 
um, if Jesus really was an historical figure, um, but, you know, the Bible's still here, would you still believe in Christianity? Would you still believe in Jesus um, as far as his message and everything? Um, but, you know, I used to be more so on the liberal side of that, believing in, in the idea of Jesus. But now I'd have to say that, you know, I, I think I need a historical Jesus. I need somebody that, you know, lived a life as a human, a sinless life, and then died for my sins. Like, that story is extremely powerful. And I've just been struck so hard by, by that fact about, you know, Jesus living this life and, and not sinning, living a full human life, um, yeah. being full God and full human at the same time. And, you know, even more human than me, because to be without sin, that is what being human means. It's true human. Yeah. You and, just drop some serious <laughs> theology, man. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think that's uh, related to in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul is talking about, he's like, man, if this, if this resurrection thing didn't happen, then we should be the most pitied people in the world. Because he says that's that's our only real hope is that Jesus really did live this life. He really did die. And he really did raise from the dead. Um, and if not, then none of this matters. Um, as as serious as I think about the reality of hell, and like I have strong beliefs about it. Um, if we if somebody said, well, I'm not sure hell is eternal. Like I still think that's a really serious theological issue. But I'm like, if if somehow I found out I was completely wrong on that but still had Jesus, I'd be like, all right, cool. Yeah. If somebody said, hey, if, I, if somehow I was proven wrong about the literal six-day creation and I was completely proven wrong, and I could say, all right, whatever, I still have Jesus. Yeah. But um, if I lost the resurrection, man, that would, that would be it. Yeah. And, um, all that other stuff falls to the wayside when you, yeah. when you come to terms with how much God loves you. Yeah. Oh, and that's, that's where, that is what is so powerful I'll probably say this about a lot of aspects of the incarnation, but that's what's so powerful about Jesus, the idea that like that God himself loved us enough to come down to us. Um, and he like entered into the nastiness of, of human reality. Um, I love in... And he in, also, he was tempted on a scale that nobody else has ever yeah, seen before. Yeah, And uh, And it's interesting because we always look to him, oh, well, look at this, we're talking about Christmas. <laughs> we didn't even plan that. Um when people talk about Jesus, we're exactly one week out from Christmas as we record today. Um, when people talk about Jesus, and it's so easy to think, like, well, but he was God. And what people don't understand is, and in Philippians 2, when it talks about he actually, it wasn't that he gave up being God, but he, he didn't hold on to all the God stuff when he became human. That, like, anything he did on this earth was by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we also have access to. Um, and just a powerful thing that, like, he came, he lived in a sinless life to, in part, to show a way so that we would understand that, like, hey, I can I can do this too by yeah. the power of the Spirit. Um, it's crazy stuff, man. There's so much in, in Jesus that just blows your mind. I love it. Yeah. Um, and also necessarily, like, you know, Jesus, what his intention really wasn't to start... Christianity. It was to show a way to the Father. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, just a byproduct. That's just a human element of what happens when, when we experience something like that, like a religion forms. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, the, it's so interesting because um, uh, I'm, I listen to a Church Planner podcast called The Church Planner Podcast. Um, and this, the guys that lead it, the one guy is like a serial church planter. He's planted all these churches and it's very much a, um, it's 
we're talking about like he might plant a living room church and then plant another church in a living room. And he intentionally doesn't stick around and try to build mega churches. He grows churches that might not get any bigger than a hundred, but then those churches plant other churches and it's very, it's this viral thing. And here he's known for church planting and he says, you know what? God never told us to plant churches. He said to go and make disciples. Like he said to get people in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Um, like a church is a byproduct, and he's and when he says church, he's actually saying that like the community of relationship that we have as believers is a byproduct. He doesn't even get to the point of talking about a building and a system and structure because he's like that's that's not even in on his radar. <laughs> um, it's just a very interesting thing how we uh, yeah we want to put structure on something that Jesus. Um, Jesus already has a relationship, and then we want to put rules. Yeah. And then, I mean, you also have to, you know, think about the fact, even with the first church, like with Peter, like sin had to have entered in because, you know, Peter isn't Jesus. So, you know, a lot of people always, you know, talk about, you know, the first church and, you know, what we're supposed to be doing and everything and not negating what Jesus did, but, you know, Oh, are you saying like everybody, people like to jump in and say, we got to do the, the first century church exactly like they did it or, cause yeah, I've definitely heard that, <laughs> but it wasn't perfect, you know? Yeah. Not exactly how the first century church did, did it, but I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm just saying with churches at all, um, with sin entering in and, you know, sin even being present there in the first church. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that just being human nature. Yeah. From the very beginning we've had issues in the church and that, yeah, it actually makes me feel better. Um, I don't know if it should, but I, you know, as a pastor, you know, we, it seems like there's always some conflict situation that we're being, we're dealing with. And it's so easy to look at passages that talk about like, Hey, the same spirit is, is in me and is in you and is in that person. So let's dwell together in unity because the spirit's in us. (laughs) But then when, when there's conflict or when there's, somebody's messing something up or something's going really wrong or somebody's in sin and you're like okay is that verse really true (laughs) um but i don't know it makes me feel a lot better when i when i read paul writing to like reading paul's epistles or even peter um and you know paul's writing about like he's like hey would you please just ask so and so and so and so to get along or he'll write a letter to to say hey so and so needs to be quiet they're making too much noise or or even when I read like first, second, and third John, and I think it's is it second John or third John, where John just calls out a guy. He's like, Yeah, Diotrephes, he just wants to be in charge of everything and he just needs to deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'm just amazed. And there's all kinds of like social issues that are playing out in the church and they're trying to, and there's nothing clean about it. There's never yeah. a, Oh, and we handled it this way and everything was perfect. Um, yeah, and I think even yeah. what the majority of people. Um, are using the church for I mean I, I, I can't speak for everybody because I, I don't I'm not God I don't know everything um, but I you know I can speak for myself and in some moments in my life um, exactly what I was using the church for um, and I, I would say you know Karl Marx's words can somewhat ring true as far as you know religion being the opiate of the ma- for the masses um, a way a way to fix things and you know you, you don't you don't only see that in in religion you see that in the secular world as far as um, things people do to, to be happy, like, 
people want to work out so they have the best body to be happy. They want to buy the right things. You can look at advertisements like Coca-Cola. It's going to, you get it, you're going to be happy. Um, so this is just a human thing. And I think that entered into the church as soon, you know, as soon as Jesus left and left it up to us, you know, sin factored more so into the equation or factored in, into the equation. And um, for a lot of people, it became this escape to try to, to try to become happy um, without, you know, really looking deeper at, into it. Yeah, it's interesting because we, uh, wow, we have a tendency to, well, we have a tendency to form things into the, into the way we want them to be. And, um, man, there is an issue, I think, I think even now, maybe more so than in a long time, with churches focusing so much on God's blessing. And just saying that, like, well, if you follow God, he'll bless you. And that's true, but not necessarily in the way we played out, because we think of blessing as, well, God will just give me what I want. And the reality is God might give you what you need. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, it's a serious thing when we have, um, we have formed Jesus into our own image. And we've said, hey, um, I like church because I can feel better about myself. I can check some things off the list and... And it becomes a form of legalism if I'm just showing up, following a structure and being able to say, you know, check off the list. Now God owes me something. Yeah. And I don't think anybody, or I shouldn't say anybody, but very few people will, will just say that outright. But we all have a tendency to think it because we all want to create a structure where I can, um, I can say I'm earning something. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. also the level of um, this idea where, you know, you're, going, you're a churchgoer now. And, um, you know, you, you read about the concept of not judging other people and that everybody's sin-filled, but still, you know, I can say that I've done this. Um, I, don't, I can't speak for anybody else, but, you know, judging other people because they're not believers or that they're still, you know, not awake or can't see, you know, no. still having this judgmental heart. Yeah. Um, when you really shouldn't. <laughs> well, which, which is still, an, it, it really comes back to this issue of, of what is really legalism, where we want to say, we want to get something out of church, and so we go and do something, we, we, we give, or we volunteer, or we attend, and we say, all right, now God owes me a blessing. And then, although we're not saying it, there's kind of this subtle thing that can happen, but then um, what's interesting is we've forgotten that it's about grace, that like what, what God wants to do is take you as a broken, messed up person and say, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love yeah. you no matter what. Um, and so then my mentality shouldn't be, I'm on this plane and unsaved person comes in or a person who's trying to figure things out or, or a struggling Christian. My mentality shouldn't be, well, they're scumming up the place. My mentality should be, here's another person like me that's messed up and praise yeah. the Lord they're here too because God's going to get more glory when when they're redeemed yeah and uh yeah i forget where this happened i think it was a a florida church um the pastor dressed up like a homeless person and uh you know before the service and just you know was going going around trying to talk to people and people were just you know kind of shoving him off um and then he walked up to the pulpit as the homeless person. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard of, I think, I think multiple pastors have done this. I'd heard about that. And, and I think the trick has been pulled in. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah. And yeah. there's a cool, there's a cool statue. I forget who made it. And I forget where it is now too. Um, of 
Jesus dressed as a homeless person sleeping on a park bench. Yeah. Um, I think it's you know somewhere in the states, but it was made uh, somewhere in Europe. Yeah. So Dude, it's a it's a powerful thing. I that whole image because when we when we also recognize that when Jesus when he came he really did take on the form of a servant you know and he's born in a stable and he's um, we, we, I think we probably are, are missing the Jesus comment a little bit when we say that he's homeless, but he, he didn't live in wealth and extravagance. And, yeah. Um, and he but said... It, yeah. as far as this idea to, yeah, oh, to, yeah. to love uh, Oh, yeah. Well, because he said, that was just in, in, in like the Matthew 25 passage where he says, hey, whatever you're doing to one of these, you're doing to me. And so he's, he's the one who brought up that illustration of that, like, you're how you treat a homeless person is, is how you're treating me. Yeah. And that's, I love that imagery. Like he's the one who brought that up. Mm-hmm. I, like, which, you know, it seems like a great idea. Um, in your head, you're like, Oh yeah, I can love a homeless person until you get there and you're like, Oh, wait a second. They smell. And yeah. like, then you really realize that, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder and you know, <laughs> your heart has been hardened because of sin yeah. and, um, it's going to take the power of Christ to, to change that. Yeah. Well, and Yeah. It's a, it's a heavy thing, and I, I don't think, I think that all of us, when we're when we're really honest, recognize that we, we have a level of pride that we're living on, um, and to be honest, my my hardest thing lately because my wife and I went through, um, in in this time of just in, in in kind of a corporate church process that I still like I saw God doing great things and it was wonderful, but I remember us looking around and saying like, man, are we really making disciples like Jesus wants us to. And I remember just being frustrated by the whole thing. And so we had this kind of um, shakeup about like, what are we supposed to be doing with church? And um, and it, it brought a big transition for us. And so it's interesting to me that usually when people talk about, well, it's, you know, it's going to be really hard to love you know, an, an, an addict or a homeless person. And what's interesting to me is I've, in the last few years, I've had an easier time mm-hmm. in, with, with people that we think of as the outskirts of society um, and who I've really had a hard time loving as Christians. And that, that has been, man, it's just been heavy. Uh, I think God has been doing a whole different work in me yeah, and there's and there's also the, yeah. that's the same thing going on there too. Like it is the same it's thing. The, it's a judge, judgmental, well, a judgmental mentality. Here's, and <laughs> here's what I'll do. Um, I've been in too many conversations where I would hear a Christian talk about like unsaved people coming and how they were unhappy with. I can't believe that addict is here or that like the best was like somebody was somebody said something to the effect of Can you believe that guy's wearing shorts here? And I'm just like oh, and so then. As you know, as God blessed me with relationships with with people in addiction and and people homeless and struggling with whatever things, there was a little bit of me that's like, yeah, check it out. I'm hanging out with these people. Yeah. Jesus hung out with those people. I'm awesome. <laughs> and so what was really interesting is I found myself like the opposite form of pride, but it was pride. Whereas somebody's prideful because they think they're better because somebody's wearing shorts in church and that guy shouldn't be wearing shorts. And I'm like, well, I'm hanging out with junkies, man. So <laughs> you're the guy with the problem. And I'm like, oh man. So I pride caught me on the other end. And, um, uh, it's just, it's a wild thing. It, I've, I, pride in my heart will find a way all the time 
And so I just, I have to be obedient to the spirit when he, Jesus is like, Hey, by the way, you're still being, yeah, being prideful here. And, um, yeah, it's wild. So, uh, yeah, there's still something that, you know, just really irks me. Like whenever I hear somebody say, um, somebody in the church say something like, well, I don't think that person's saved. Yeah. Like, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, uh, I, I want to, I, in those kind of situations, I have such a tendency to say, all right, so did you think that King David was saved? Because usually it has to do with, you know, it's somebody's in some type of sin or whatever. I'm like, you know, King David sinned a lot. Like there's not many sins that he didn't cover in his mm-hmm. life. But God calls him a man after his own heart. David was repentant constantly. Um, he would sin and then there would be this humility and repentance and I, to me, that's, I mean, he, he got it. Uh, and then I, I wonder sometimes about, you know, I could, I could look at myself and say, man, I'm doing, I could check things off the list and say, well, I'm loving this kind of people. And I'm doing this kind of thing and I'm not sending this kind of sin. But, you know, I could have a problem with gossip and it could go on forever. And if, I, if I'm never repentant of that, I should be scared to death. And uh, I don't know, it's, that's a, it, it's an interesting thing. It's a scary thing to say, well, that person's not saved. Um, it's one thing if somebody's like completely like not in and admitting it and, yeah. and whatever. But and even, say, even oh. still, like... Even still, guys might be doing a work in their heart. Yeah, and you have to, you know, I think there's still a lack of trust there or a lack of, you know, faith in believing that God really does love that person the exact same that he loves you. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's denying that. Yeah. And that sin right there that you know, yeah. you're denying. I, I can't tell you all the stories on this, but God keeps smacking me in the face with this because um, I, uh, there's a particular type of evil that I just I have a problem with. And we, I, I recently got put in contact with someone that I'd heard about something awful that they'd done. And it was just awful, like beyond awful. And I remember thinking like, oh, like I'm, I remember thinking some of the effect of like, I'm really glad there's a hell because I, I want justice. And I, I think there is a place for wanting God's justice and things like that. But I remember just being like, like it was probably a little bit of hatred that was, that was boiling up. God, God put me in contact with that person. Like they reached out to me for pastoral support. <laughs> and it was interesting is that immediately triggered all my like, love for the broken and I'm like yeah. I'm such an idiot you know I'm like I just love you man um I I God just keeps doing it it seems like any time that I think of I find out about something that I'm like oh yeah clearly that person's not saved yeah and then God will bring it around and I'm like oh man look he was doing something yeah. in there and then life, and then you know put you in a relationship with that person you realize yeah. that that person's a person still oh man regardless yeah. of you know whatever awful thing yeah. they did Oh yeah, well I, I can tell. I, I can. I think I can tell this story. I uh, I was at a meeting. I I had a friend that uh, died of an overdose because of um, because of a drug dealer that was putting fentanyl in in drugs he was selling. And um, was that last year? Yeah. yeah and uh, I, I did the happens. funeral, and I remember just like having such just anger, and it was somebody who I like. My, it was a friend of mine who I thought was gonna make it. Like I thought she was gonna stay clean and and when she relapsed i mean i i figured she was using she was using a little bit before that but she'd relapsed and then it wasn't very long and she was she'd od and i remember just having so much anger for that person and so i'm at a bible study with a friend of mine and uh 
and, and I'm talking about, and I almost used like just awful language to describe this guy. And, um, and my friend who also loves Jesus, um, knows him from, from his work. And it's a, and he says, you know, he's like, there's no question. Like that guy does awful things. He's like, but you know what? He's like, if you didn't know he's a drug dealer, like he's the greatest guy. He's like, blast, talk to, I hang, I mean, I, I would see him all the time and, and it was interesting because it was another way. Like, God just won't let me hate anybody. Yeah. Like, as soon as I get really angry and think that, like, this person is the one that I can really hate and here's why. And then he humanizes them for me. And I think it's an act of his grace, honestly. Definitely. I think it is because God, God doesn't give me much chance uh, to hate. Uh, he reminds me how foolish it is. So, oh, man, it's a mess. But, uh, man, God's love is good. Yeah. It's a it's a powerful thing to think about how deep his grace goes and um he can save anybody. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. And th- I mean this, you know, I, naturally I want to go into another theological discussion. Br- bring it on. We got I don't know how much time we've got. We got a little bit of time. Um as, you know, as, as far as what you just said, God can save anybody. Um but does God save everybody? Oh, that one. You <laughs> Um, I mean, this one's just been on my heart for a while now, um, that, you know, God is loving and I think, you know, God can do whatever he wants. And I know that he loves the human race. Um, and I know, I know he wants, he wants us to be with him. Um, but he loved us so much that he gave us free will and he gave us choice. So I don't know. And also the the fact that do we only have this lifetime to, to, to make that decision? Um, or is he going to? again extend grace and give us you know however much time we need to come to the realization that he is the one true god yeah i am um, oh so yeah that's a bigger discussion than we probably <laughs> have time but i uh i usually i love when some of my favorite theologians that will like look at all the scripture and be able to say man it, it really looks like hell is eternal and you got one shot. But then they'll, they'll go through all this stuff, and then they'll say, but you know what? God can do whatever the heck he wants. And I, I always, when I'm talking to somebody, I'm, I want to be like, dude, you need, to, you need to understand that this is probably your only shot to trust Jesus, so you, you better do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then when I'm speaking about just the greatness of God and his unending love and everything, I, I always want to say, you know what? God's done a whole lot of other things that I didn't expect him to do. You know, when we look at the law and how we thought things were going to work under the law, but he says, I'm, I'm fulfilling it. I'm not ruining it all. I'm not saying that was bad. I'm fulfilling it. Sometimes I just think, well, maybe God could do that. On the other hand, I look at all the scripture and the theology and I'm like, I, I don't think that there's going to be chances after this. I don't know. Yeah. I am. Um, but I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole you know, fun debate this, that yeah, we could have. There's situations as far as, you know, if... If I had been born a Muslim um, in a Muslim nation, like it's gonna be, a, it's a little bit more difficult for you know the gospel to to reach me, I guess. A little bit. Oh, but there's oh. some, there's some. Oh, there's so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you're and you're right. You're exactly right. Uh, but God can get to whomever He wants, and this is where it gets tangled because. You know, you talk to the missionaries who have the crazy stories of, like, 
the guy who was like, you know, I was just really realized that there was something out there and felt like God was telling me to start walking in this direction. And then he comes across by chance on these missionaries on the road. I mean, there's always these crazy stories that you hear from missionaries. And you're like, man, God God wanted that guy to hear the gospel. And so he found a way. Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, why doesn't he do that with everybody? Yeah, but yeah. also there's argument too that, um, you know, figures like Gandhi, according to traditional belief, would be in hell. And, you know, I, I certainly don't believe that. And, you know, the way that I, I guess I rationalize it in my head, um, even though, you know, I, I really have no idea because, you know, again, I'm not God. So these things I, I can never know. Um, but they're fun to discuss. Yeah. Um, but as far as a figure like Gandhi, you know, I believe he is a Christ follower, but Christ presented himself in a different way to him. Um, and that's how I feel. That's what how I interpret that message about the gospel being able to reach whoever, wherever. Um, it might not always look the same. So there's, a, there's probably a little point of that I might agree. So because here's, here's when we look at what God requires of salvation throughout, throughout all of history, it's always, it's always faith. There's always God wants faith. But the object of faith has changed, you know, and in the Old Testament, it wasn't that following the law is what saved you, but following the law was an act of faith, saying, like, God, this is what you want me to do, so I'm, I'm, I'm in faith. And you, we have, like, Abraham, where, um, where it says that he had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Like, it, God had asked him to do something, and he, he had faith in God. And that was, he showed that faith by doing something, but it was, it was always faith. And, you know, now we have where Jesus has come, and he says, I'm the way to the Father, and the act of faith that God calls on us is to trust him as, as our Lord, you know. Yeah. And so it's an interesting thing. I, I, would, I wouldn't want to say, sure, but it would be an interesting thing, like, theoretically, God could ask for a different act of faith from somebody yeah. else. And, I mean, you know? what are the two most important things in the Bible as far as, you know, it's love God with all your heart and love your neighbor with all your heart. And, you know, somebody like Gandhi is displaying that pretty well. It's an interesting, interesting debate on it, man. Um, my, uh, that's where. So yes, I um, my only tricky thing would be like, am I really loving God with all my heart if I'm not. If I'm not obeying what He said about Jesus, now arguably there was a whole lot Gandhi did in obedience to what Jesus would say. Yeah. That a lot of Christians don't do. Um, He's one of those where I'm like, hmm, I can see possibility, but I don't, I don't know what he actually did with Jesus. Like, did he, did he trust Jesus for his, um, for his atoning work? If not, then I think we have a we have a problem. But I don't know whether he did, and that's where I get I have I have a hard time going either way on it, because there is a there's a chance that like maybe he really had said, you know what, I can't be good enough on my own, and I'm I'm trusting Jesus in this. Yeah, and um, and it might have looked a little different. I don't know enough about Gandhi and what he. Yeah, I really don't either. But I mean, but he certainly. I know he talked about Jesus. There was a lot of, like, I think it's arguable that was possible. However, I could also say that like the best person in the world could do all kinds of good things. Yeah, I also I also know that Mother Teresa was not a, um, she was more of a liberal believer as far as things not being literal to her. Yeah. But you know, you still have to look at her acts and what she did. And, you know, what that says about her. I, I think action speaks a lot more than words. Yeah. And, you know. I, 
I agree. So here's my the tricky thing though, with any of these people is what was the motivation of it? Um, again, I'm not I'm not making a judgment either way. But again, but yeah, I know where you're going with that. And as far as the motivation, like, but look at what they did. Like, is that possible without having Jesus? In yeah. Your heart? Okay. <laughs> so that's where it gets. This is exactly where I'm. Yeah. So I can. I can do good to try to earn salvation, or I can do good because I am saved. Um, and arguably, real good can't come out of me. Like, that, like sacrificial love in its deepest form can't really come out of me unless God is in me. And so that's where there's a really wild, like, okay, so could Mother Teresa have done this if the Spirit wasn't in her? Yeah. Well, I don't know, like... Good thing it's not for me to judge, <laughs> but yeah, like there's a really interesting and compelling point there. Um, all of it though, bring it around. Like no matter how we look at it, Jesus has to be central. Like he, his atoning work has to be central. Trusting in him has to be central. Everything has to come out of that. Yeah. Um, and also again to bring it back to the, yeah. the point of you know heaven or hell or you know what have you there still is the choice too and there still is the, the exact opposite of that effect of people choosing you know evil over over good yeah um and you know what that says yeah well there's I, I had a theology professor that said that god created hell in mercy because he said if you didn't like ultimately what what's happening in salvation is we're essentially saying that like i want god like i want a relationship with god whatever that means i, I want him i want jesus and um, to deny that, well, God can't be in relationship with you. <laughs> and so his argument was that like God created hell as a place and mercy for people who don't want to be in relationship with God, which yeah. is a really wild and powerful thought. Um, dude, I, I'm realizing as we're, as we're kind of coming to the end here that like we've talked about huge major topics, <laughs> and we've kind of just like skated over them like. <laughs> Well, this one's interesting, and that one's interesting. Like, um, yeah, like these could any be one of these could be like could yeah. last for hours on end. Yeah. Um, as we are wrapping it up, though, like I wanted to to make a point. You had made a comment about doubt earlier, and I think it would do us well to do a, a whole discussion on doubt sometime, because I think there is a huge issue in Christianity that we've we've given doubt a bad name. Um, yeah. And if you've ever experienced long-term doubt, like, it's painful. Like, I don't think of doubt as a good thing in the sense of, like, woohoo, I'm experiencing doubt. It's painful. It sucks. But it doesn't mean it's evil. Yeah. I um, mean, I, I've definitely yeah. taken the dark places with my doubt, but I think it's only strengthened my belief in yeah. God as far as... And I, yeah. I also think this Peter Rollins guy, to bring him back to that podcast, brought up this idea um, where he encourages people to have um, an atheist week where they just read atheist material. Mm. Um, and I think that's a great idea because I think there, like, there is this underlying fear in, in Christians and people of faith where if they read something, they think they're, they might believe it. Because <laughs> it's not the right way to think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so they avoid it completely. Yeah. Which I think, I think that points to it and how some of us view doubt, and, and it's not a good thing. Because the thinking often is, I'm doubting. They think doubt is sin, so then the idea is like, well, I can't just let my mind go there. When the opposite is true. And I always point to, to Thomas. Um, everybody gives Thomas, Jesus' apostle Thomas, a bad name because he doubted. And Jesus doesn't. You know, we think about like, because Thomas, when he hears about the resurrection, and it's wild because all of the other living apostles said, we saw Jesus, man. He's raised from the dead. 
the one guy that wasn't there says, you guys are all crazy. Like, how wild is that already when we think yeah. about it? And so Thomas says, I'm going to need to put my hands in his side. I need to see the holes in his, in, in his hands. And Jesus immediately appears. And the thinking, it's like we've rewritten scripture to think that, like, well, Jesus shows up and he really yells at Thomas. Well, he doesn't. He gives Thomas exactly what he wants. Yeah. He says, here, put your hand in my side. Touch me. See, I'm yeah. real. And I, I think you know? that's the difference, too, as far as, you know, again, back to the, the hell uh, topic um, where, you know, Thomas, you know, he wanted a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus provided everything to him and showed yeah. him that yeah, he wanted flesh Jesus. and bone, that he's there. So that's so, where it gets crazy. If you want Jesus, man, you're yeah, going to get himself. Um, the, uh, it's a powerful thing. So I'll, I think we should do another talk on, on, on doubt sometime. But I, I encourage, man, if you're experiencing doubt, Seek to move through it. There's there's one philosophy that says run from it. There's another philosophy that just kind of says to just kind of stew in your doubt. And I'm like, well, that's stupid too because it's painful. Like I don't want to stay mm-hmm. in it any more than like, like I can say the pain from my broken arm uh, is good because it helps me see that I need help. I don't stew in the pain. Like I I'm, I deal with it. I have yeah. my arm set. And but um. But my, also, I, I think people on a whole experience doubt a lot more than they want to lead on. Oh yeah. And um, I think that's you know. That hinders growth in the church. It does. And well, because especially if we're ignoring it. Yeah. Because um, that doubt's only going to grow. So I, uh, one of my heroes, Dr. Gary Habermas, Habermas is brilliant, um, theologian, apologist. Uh, he's the guy who's, who's credited with, through his relationship and debates with Antony Flew, who was kind of a big atheist back in the 20th century. Um, he brought Antony Flew around to theism, which is really cool. Um, but, uh, Habermas went through a huge period of doubt. He grew up in uh, evangelical church. Um, I think he had his master's degree, I think, from a Christian college. I could be wrong about that. He goes off to get his PhD and just totally leaves the faith. Um, I shouldn't say totally, but he leaves the faith. I think he explored Buddhism, and I can't remember what all else. He was involved in all kinds of religions. Um, and eventually came back to trust in Jesus. And a side note is the whole time he's going through his, his Buddhism phase and everything else, his mom, who was a Christian, would be like, so do you still love Jesus? And he would say, yeah. <laughs> like, but not in a way of like, um, yeah, I love Jesus. It was like he was confused by it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't believe in him, but I love him. Yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, Gary Habermas is you know, he's brilliant intellectual and, and as, as he came back to, to belief. And I would argue that there was had a relationship with God probably the whole time and he was going through this season of doubt. Um, and I think his mind aligned with his heart eventually. I'm speculating a little bit. But he talks about doubt and he says there are three forms of doubt. And I, I talk about this anytime I'm talking to somebody who's experiencing doubt. The first and most common is what we call emotional doubt. And it's not related to facts. It's where you all of a sudden say, what if it's not true? Um, and this can be applied to anything. This can be applied to like your relationship with your spouse. You know, this is like, it's when you have this, your emotions well up and you ask kind of this what if. And it's not really tied to any facts. Sometimes you might be triggered by something, but mm-hmm. it's... Um, and he says the way to deal with that is just with evidence. Like, you, you rethink what you believe, you know, and you just review the facts. And you say, all right, cool. And your emotions calm down. It's, I do this when I go to Cedar Point, and I'm next to the giant Millennium Force that I love to ride. And I get scared sitting next to it because it's so massive. Yeah. But then I remember all the facts about safety, and then I ride and I have a great time. Um, so emotional doubt's the first and most common. And interestingly, I think people don't know how to deal with emotion. And I think that's probably why the enemy 
causes a lot of damage through that because we just don't deal with emotional doubt well. The second form is factual doubt, and it's where some new information comes up that doesn't align with our current belief system. And I and the way to deal with that is, man, all truth is God's truth. So it could be that you that that information is not correct or that your belief isn't correct. So research it. And uh, so, like, gain more of it. Like, so it's interesting. That's another, we were talking about how some people, like, want to run away and not read. And um, God wants you to explore him. Like, he will guide us. The Holy Spirit says, is, is here to guide you in all truth. That's what Jesus promised. So read and study. And, um, and so that's second form of doubt. So you have emotional, you have factual. The third type of doubt is what we call volitional or willful. Um, and it happens a whole different way, and it's way more dangerous. But it starts with not with evidence, but with sin. When you have a resentment against something. Yeah, it's like a lot of times bitterness is involved, or when I've, I've seen it when somebody was just hanging on to a sin for a really long time, and they, they eventually came to this decision that they wanted the sin more than God. Yeah. And so they'll reject their faith, and they always have some kind of a like token argument as to why, but it's usually really flimsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so when any time I have somebody that's just denying the faith, I'll say, okay, so what's, what's the sin, man? Like what, what's been going on these last few years? Every time there's something that they had. And, and then I'll say, oh, okay, so do you have some argument, like some reason? And it's usually, like, usually it's problem with evil. It's like, well, they're suffering in the world, so I don't believe. And I'm like, you know what? There's also pleasure in the world. Like, I, yeah. That, but I, I think with that, um, that kind of doubt, it's, it's more of a deeper issue, and that's just, you know, kind of yeah. like a symptom of it. Oh, it's so. exactly right. Well, they never want to actually debate their yeah. logical And it's reason. always, those yeah. people always get upset when they're in an argument about yeah. their religion or about their uh, lack yeah. of religion. Yeah. So I think it can, it can happen both ways. I, oh, I agree. Um, it's just an interesting thing because then the, uh, the sad reality is that um, somebody's choosing their sin over God. Um, it's dangerous, man. Uh, those guys, God can still bring them around, but it's a whole different thing that's going on there. Because they're not, it's not being, the decision's not being made rationally. Um, but I tell you what, man, uh, if you can identify what kind of doubts you're in when you're ever in doubt, and usually it's emotional, but man, the answer is always dealing with it. Like, deal with emotional doubt with reviewing the facts, deal with uh, factual doubt by studying more. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. And, and discussion with other people, too. Yeah, and, and that can know, help. Bring yeah. it to the surface. That's yeah. always going to help. Yeah, bringing things to light. Jesus likes to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other, we probably ought to talk about that more another time. We have talked about 20 different topics. Yeah, we've covered quite a bit today. It was fun though. I yeah, liked it was. It. I liked it a lot. So, um, well, Merry Christmas everybody. It's good having you listening to us. And uh, Kevin, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, sure so, thing. It's good Always stuff. fun. Um, I'm actually going to do something different and pray to close this out. Um, I think I did that once before, but um, somehow it's just on my mind. Let's do it. So, Lord, thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you that, um, that all truth is your truth. And um, while there are things that might not seem always clear in Scripture, um, Jesus is clear. And uh, our need to put our trust in Him is so huge. Um, So God, I pray that you would crush our pride, that you would um, screw up all the things that, that make us think we're something. And God, may we just see Jesus for all He is. May we experience his love. And so uh, those that I know are connected to our church or to the podcast, God, I pray that they would just see Jesus' love for them. Um, God, whether they agree with me on every theological point, I'm not too concerned about. What I want is for them to fall in love with Jesus. So would you, um, 
Would you reveal yourself, your saving, atoning death and resurrection to them? And um, would you just do a powerful work in us? And uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Cool.